we look this morning to Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 56, and they rested according to the commandment. But first, continuing out of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, as we've been reminding ourselves for the last several months that now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way, a very particular way, a very specific way. Fourteen generations from the call of Abraham to David the king. Fourteen generations from the king to the exile, and fourteen generations from the exile till the birth of the Christ. Canaanite prostitutes and Moabite widows, kings and Chaldeans called forth out of Ur become Hebrew, crossed over ones, incest and adultery. No matter what men do, they cannot stop the ordained will of an omnipotent God. Man, they tried. They tried to sink that ship. And he simply would not allow it to happen. You will call his name Jesus, the angel told Joseph. It literally means Yahweh is salvation. And you will call him that because he will save his people from their sins. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way, a very particular way, a very specific way. And so too also was the nature of his death. In Isaiah chapter 52 and verses 12 through 14, the Lord speaks to the prophet about the death of our Lord, and he says this You shall not go out in haste. Oh, listen, Mount Zion, here it is. You shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred, it was beyond human semblance. His form, beyond that of the children of mankind, so he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told they see. And that which they have not heard they understand. His coming was in a very particular way. His dying was in a very particular way. 
And in Luke chapter 23, first in verses 13 through 31, this is what it looked like. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Isn't that precious? There's nothing against this man, but you know what? If it'll make you happy, I'll whip the fire out of him before I let him go. And they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! And a third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it beside Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him but turning to them, Jesus said, Now guys, anytime Christ speaks, what we ought to do is bow the knee and listen. But if there is ever a finer time to bow the knee and listen, I cannot think of when it would be other than when he was carrying his cross to Golgotha. And so here, in that moment, he could have said anything he wanted. And in that moment, he says this. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that have never bore and the breasts that have never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? If they do things like this when the wood is green, 
then when the wood is dry, there will come a day when the women that are weeping after him would rather be weeping after the fact that they had a child. That they will say in the midst of their despair, it is better to be barren, it is better not to nurse, let the rocks fall on us. This is not a sermon today that is primarily for the saved. Though the saved will love to hear it. This is a sermon for the lost that are called. For the lost that are called. And here's the deal. I'm just going to step away from the notes from half a second. Here's the deal. If that's you, at this point in time, you are almost certainly aware that it's you and it makes you miserable. But that's okay. It's okay. Because if that's you, it's going to come to its conclusion. And it is going to be for the glory of God and for your absolute joy. If they do this when the wood is green, what do they do when the wood's dry? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 24 in verses 9 through 22 and in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering a very particular question that was put to him by his disciples when they said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And this is a passage you ought to be familiar with. We quote it a lot here at Mount Zion. It's kind of like Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 2. We go there a lot, and so you ought to know it. And what Jesus says is this, don't worry about wars and don't worry about famines and don't worry about crisis in the Middle East. Look for false peace and the love of many to grow cold. For in that day, they will hand you over. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. 
And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Do you understand that this particularly is the women that he was talking about when he said there is a day coming when you will say, blessed is those whose womb is barren. Blessed is those whose breasts have never nursed. It's these women in this time. Alas for the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight not, not, might not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Because if they did this when the wood was green, what are they going to do when it's dry? For there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You go, man, Pastor Brian, listen, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's not exactly a seeker-friendly sermon. I wonder if that's what the Jerusalem Post said the morning after Jesus said, if they do this when the wood's green, what will they do when it's dry? I'm not interested in a seeker-friendly sermon. I'm interested in those that are being called by Christ to flee from this thing that have not yet fled. That have not yet fled, but are just about to. If this is what they do when it's green, what will they do when it's dry? Nearly 2,000 years ago, and we're coming up on the 2,000th anniversary. We're not quite there yet. Dark indeed was the day. And yet, in the midst of tragedy and heartache and devastation, you understand that and we're not going to do this today because I just don't feel led to do it, but you understand that what he went through that day, almost certainly there's no one in this room that would be able to stomach it. Dark indeed was the day. But in the midst of that devastation, there was rest of a very particular type for those that would, hang with me here, would become his people. And so our core text today is out of Luke chapter 23 in verse 50 through 56. And so in Luke chapter 23, in verse 50, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph 
from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. You want to know why he wasn't consenting to their decision and action? Because he was looking for the kingdom of God, and he had seen the king. And this man went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So we've just seen the most violent death that a man can die be perpetrated upon the only righteous man who has ever lived. This is the result according to Acts chapter 2, what Peter preached at Pentecost, what we read last night at the resurrection banquet, this is the direct result of lawlessness. And so if you don't know what lawlessness is, there's a very specific definition within the context of Scripture. Lawlessness is not simply what we used to have on the Oklahoma side of the border when it was still a territory and Parker was sitting in Fort Smith where there just was no law. That's not what is being talked about. Specifically, what we have is the willful partnership between fallen man and fallen angel to rise up against the Creator. It is literally as nasty as it gets. And according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, He put His Son to death by the hands of Lawless men. Dirty business. And it fulfilled itself as being as nasty as it sounds like it would be. Pulled his beard out of his face. For you ladies out there, you understand that if they get a hold of this, you don't have any face left. teeth are exposed. They flayed him to the bone. And a man who walked everywhere he went every single day of his life couldn't even bear up to carry his cross. They had put their trust in Him. The best that they could, according to to their own fleshly heart, had, had believed what He had said. They, they had tied their, their destiny to Him. And He wasn't just dead, man. He was brutally dead. And so they come to a tomb 
that wasn't even supposed to be his. And they go back and they begin to, to try to scramble because the not only is it the Sabbath, but the Passover is at hand. And so they scramble to get all of this stuff done. They can't take care of him the way they need to. And then the sun sets. And when the sun sets, the command of God says you rest for a day. And they did. In the midst of this, they rested according to the commandment. And I say according to the commandment because I'm going to propose to you that they were not resting according to their own hearts. They rested according to the commandment. And so here's the commandment in Exodus chapter 20 in verses 8 through 11. We're going to do it twice because it's, it's written in Exodus and it's written again in Deuteronomy. And so in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8... The Lord says, as he speaks from descended fire up on top of Mount Sinai, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He says, I, I set it apart. I made it something different. Not because of us but because of him if he worked for six days and rested on the seventh then it is suitable for his creatures as well speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy in chapter 5 and verses 12 through 15 the Lord expounds upon this concept even more he says observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so here is the command that these people have. That in the midst of all of this grief and all of this sorrow, in, in, in all of this, I don't know what you call it other than travail, it's kind of like betrothed. We don't use it much these days. But I don't know what you call it other than that. In, in the midst of this just crushing darkness, 
The command from the Lord is unwavering. You don't do any work. Not you, not your wife, not your kids, not your servants, not even your livestock. The author of Hebrews tells us what the significance of the Sabbath rest was. And the significance, like all of the testimonial law, is there particularly to cast the shadow of the reality that is to come in Christ. And so the point of the Sabbath was not everybody needs a day off. That was not the point of the Sabbath. Though I'm all for a day off. Everybody agree? Good for days off? Yes. They're good? But that was not the point. Guys, and let me tell you, don't fall into that trap. Don't don't fall into the trap that the point of of dietary laws in the Old Testament was this is what will make you healthy. (laughs) Guess what? It'll make you healthy. Turns out God's pretty smart. But that's not the point. The point is not, this will make you healthy. The point of the Sabbath is not, you need a day off. The point is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the point. The point is, is that it makes you literally other than. Hagios. It makes you holy. It makes you set apart. It makes you different. The point of circumcision was not that it's healthier for little boys. The point is it makes you different. And so the author of Hebrews tells us, here was the thing that was the shadow and the copy, and here's the way the Sabbath is actually working itself out. Because guys, if the point was the Sabbath, we'd be having church on Saturday. Wouldn't, hey, You think that rattles my cage? I'll flip a schedule on you. That's not the point. The point is Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands. Now, These people rested. In the middle of their travail, they rested, but they didn't rest according to their hearts. They rested rested according to the commandment. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Not you that believe, but they that have not believed. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. 
Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, some radical theology. There are those that have entered his rest. There are those that will not enter his rest. And there are those that are yet to enter his rest. And friends, if that's you, then today do not harden your hearts. Today, when is the time to enter it? According to the author of Hebrews, today. Today is the time to enter it. Now look, one of these days, time will be no more. And all of these works that He has finished from before the foundation of the world will be seen to be exactly what they are. But that day is not today. Today is a day when if you have not entered into His rest, you can contemplate entering it. And whether or not you do will prove what you are. This was finished from before the foundation of the world. And yet it is playing out in the midst of real time with real people, with real souls. It is not a game. It is not ivory tower theology. It is urgency. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts for if Joshua had given them rest, this is why I say that a day off is not the point. If Joshua had given them rest, would not God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and of the spirits of joints and of the marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight. Friend, if you're on the fence today, I mean, you will not hide. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. 
the point of the Sabbath was not a day off. The point of the Sabbath was the rest that actually comes in Jesus Christ. And so here you have these people, particularly in the context of Matthew or context of Luke chapter 23, particularly these women. And they come and they're trying to do everything they can. I would guess, I I don't know that frantic is the word that you would use, but they are certainly hard pressed. They don't have a lot of time to do what they need to do. And they're kind of getting, prepare an ointment. But when the Sabbath comes, they rest. And they don't rest according to the heart. They rest according to the commandments. That is not sufficient in the long term. But it does pay a testimony to that which is sufficient. There is a reality. Like I said, this is not a sermon for the saved. There is a reality to resting while you're lost. At this point in time, you may be scratching your head and going, well, Pastor Brian, I don't know how in the world, if anybody was lost, they could ever be at rest. There's a reality to resting while you're lost. It doesn't look like the rest that's in Christ. Not at all. But there's something that's there. Because if it wasn't there, the scripture wouldn't say that they rested according to the commandment. But they did. I want you to understand that the rest they had was not contentment and a heart that was at ease because it was squared away with Christ. That's not the rest they had. The reason we know that is because in the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, in verses 11 through 15, we get an insight into the heart of these women. And so in, in John chapter 20, in verse 11, it says that, We get to John, Luke's not going to work. In John chapter 20, in verse 11, it says that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now, this is the day after they rested because of the commandment. Friday was the crucifixion. Saturday was the Sabbath and they rested according to the commandment and now we're to Sunday. And here we find Mary weeping outside of the tomb. Whatever kind of rest she had was not a rest that put her heart at ease. She's weeping. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
Man, I got to tell you, it seems to me that when you hear God speak to men, when you hear angels speak to men, that I, I think in I, I think that in heaven, um, the um, the politeness of communication seems to be a lot less of a concern than it is among the sons and daughters of men. Apparently, they don't get their feelings hurt as easy as we do. Woman, why are you weeping? And notice that they said it, not just one of them. Wonder if it was in harmony. One and a three, three and a five, maybe a one and a seven, that'd been cool. And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. You talk about a complex emotional situation. She is simultaneously so wrong and so right. She is so she she is so right in her longing and her desire. But it has not yet come to fruition. And don't fool yourself to think that it has. Man, she wants so bad for him. And she doesn't even have a clue who he actually is. She sees the resurrected Christ and thinks he's the gardener. The hired hand that trims the hedges. She's looking for a corpse. When John would say, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. She, she, she is so right and she is so absolutely wrong. You know why? Because she's resting in the commandment. Here's the deal. The reason she's resting in the commandment instead of resting in Christ is because she's not born again. And none of them are. Not Peter. Not John. None of them. You go, man, I, I don't know. that. Hey, I'm here to tell you, the day that light bulb turned on for me and you, it blew my fuse. You go, how in the world can you say the apostles aren't saved? Because they're not saved. And here's how we know. is because John himself records it. In the Gospel of John in chapter 14. 
John recorded it, but Jesus said it. And here's what he said in verse 27 through 29. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. All right, so Sean Hannity loves to say that on the radio about 27 times a day. I have nothing against Sean, personally. (laughs) But he likes to say that. Man, he takes it out of context. Because here's what's crazy, is he is about to tell these people, don't let your hearts be troubled. But if you die right now, you will knock the hinges off the gates of hell. How, how can you tell somebody that is, that is literally the definition of the damned, let not your hearts be troubled? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. So here's what Jesus says to him. You've heard me say this, I'm, I'm leaving and you know I'm dying, but I will come back to you. And then he says this, and you talk about a condemning statement. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Here you have Christ going, boys, look, you're finite, I'm infinite. You're a child, I'm an adult. You're dust, I'm eternal. And Peter... Here in about 50 plus days, you're going to stand up and preach this sermon. And it's going to be awesome when you do, but you don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. And the reality is this, is I know better than you. God knows better than us. And so, you think that the worst thing that could happen is marred beyond the semblance of the children of men so that he could not be recognized and our Lord is dead and we're looking for a corpse and we think you're the gardener. But the reality is it's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you and because you're not born again and you don't have a new heart yet, when I told you this, if you had, what you would have done is clapped and rejoiced. That salvation and propitiation and blood atonement has come. But because you don't love me, you love you. Because of that, you didn't rejoice, you mourned. And they didn't just mourn, they fought him. 
Peter literally looked at him and used the same verbiage that Paul will use in the book of Romans when he says, should we sin in order that grace might abound? And he says, not being, this is not the character, this is not the being of a Christian. Peter looked at him and said, not being. When Christ said, it is for me to go to the cross, he said, no, it's not. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. When it does take place, future tense, at that point, you may believe. They neither loved Christ by His own definition, nor did they yet believe in Him. That's a spooky deal, guys. Listen to me. That's a spooky deal. That's the kind of deal where you can be in church your whole life and think you're right and actually not be. They thought they were, they've been following him for three years. Their life had been in danger on multiple occasions. And they didn't wig out, man. They stuck to it. And he says, You don't love me and you don't believe. But because his works were finished from before the foundation of the world, they're going to believe. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is Yahweh, is salvation. He doesn't come to make the offer of salvation to his people. He comes to actually be their savior. Do you hear me talking? Because if you hear me and care, He's talking to you. If you don't care, good luck. But if you care, if, if like this weighs on your conscience, then it is you. They weren't saved, but they're about to be. And that's, look man, there is a rest for those that aren't saved and it is this weird little transitional point that happens between that it happens during the effectual call of God that then causes you to come into the actual sabbath rest that is not according to the man uh, to the command but is according to Christ himself they're going to be saved it's recorded in John I think it's fitting that John is the one that that put the nail in the coffin on these dudes were not saved and then pries the lid off the coffin with the crowbar and goes now they're alive and so in John 14 not saved John chapter 20 verse 19 through 22 on the evening of that day the very same day that Mary's out there thinking he's the gardener the day after they've rested according to the commandment. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced, which they had not done before. 
They were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. It's the exact same word that the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the translation that Jesus primarily quoted in his ministry. It is the same word, it is the same phrase that is recorded in Genesis when God breathed into Adam and made him go from a pile of highly organized dirt to a living soul. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And it was effectual. For then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Before the crucifixion, I told you what I was going to do. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, but you didn't rejoice. Instead, you, you argued, you fought with me. You said that was not being who the Son of God is, and you did not believe. But I've told you these things so that when the time comes, and you do love me, you will believe. And then a few days later, the time comes. The effectual call. This is Romans chapter 8 on display. The things that were done before, as the author of Hebrews said, the foundation of the world. Those that were foreknown, those that were he was intimate with beforehand were, were predestined, and those that predest, were predestined were called. And they weren't called to just be part of a list of people that goes to heaven and not to hell. They were, they were called to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And so here it is. And here's this weird space where there is rest according to a commandment, but there's not yet rest in Christ, but the rest according to this commandment is going to lead to rest in Christ. And I say that because... After years, after years of preaching the sovereignty of God and the election of His people, one of the things that I can bear witness to is the arrogance of man in being angry that they don't seem like they get enough say in the deal. As though God is some kind of indifferent puppet master. When nothing could be farther from the truth. When the truth is that men are not simply desperate for the author of sal offer of salvation, they're desperate for an actual Savior. When the truth is, is that there is a work of the Spirit that begins before justification. And that work is, I mean, Paul told us, 
Those who are foreknown are predestined. Those who are predestined are called. Those who are called are justified. There is a work of the Spirit that begins before justification that is the call. And the call is, by definition, when you hear the gospel and you hear the promise of God, but it has not yet become effectual, but it is in the process of becoming it. So you haven't arrived at justification just yet when when the blood of Christ is covering and propitiating your sin, but buddy, you're being drugged there, if need be, by the nostrils. Never been one that got away. There is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. You say, well, then if if you find yourself in the position where you're not yet saved, and so you can't have the fullness of the Sabbath rest that remains in Christ, according to Hebrews, but you hear enough that you understand that you desire that rest how can you rest between then and now you can't and you absolutely can and I am not trying to have my cake and eat it too I'm telling you that's what Mary was doing. Works like this. You rest in the promise that is to come, knowing that He is faithful to provide it. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 21. John chapter 14, verse 15. Speaking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is, according to what Paul says to Timothy, the regenerative agent of the new creation. This this is the, the member of the Trinity that causes you to be born again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Well, Lord, why can't the world receive him? Because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right, just, I know we're covering a lot of ground today. Just to rewind real quick, let's remember, they have not yet come to the point where Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. They are still at the point where Jesus is just about to say, two chapters later, that you neither love me nor believe in me, but you're going to believe in me on the day that you love me. And so here we are in that condition, and he says, look, the Spirit's coming. And when he comes, the world 
Not going to get it. Not going to get it. Why? Because it does not know Him. But you're going to get it. And He's going to dwell in you. He's going to dwell in you. And that will be your salvation. Well, how, how do you, Lord, how do you know that we're going to get it if the world's not going to get it? Because He's already with you. Friends, there is a reality where the Spirit moves upon the people that are called according to His name in a process before the moment of justification comes. And if you don't believe it, all you have to do is look back over the last 18 years at the children that have come to faith here at Mount Zion. And you can see it on them. You can see Him before He's in them, being with them. Moving on them. Pressing on them. Pushing them. And when Alvin and our Sunday school teachers tell these kids there is a promise that you can rest in, that is true even if it hasn't yet been fully realized. That's true. We don't look at our kids and go, hey man, look, I hope he's going to save you. We can put this before them and go, here it is. There it is. And you know how I know it's there? Is because He will save His people from their sin. Not that He might. And we watch it happen over and over and over and over. Is it the fullness of the rest that comes in Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. Not any more than the Sabbath day rest that you see in Exodus is the fullness of the Sabbath rest that you see in Hebrews. But it's the promise of what's to come. And in that promise, there is rest. It may be rest according to the command. It may not be the fullness of the rest that we desire, but it is real. And it is there. And we see its fulfillment. In Mary. In John chapter 20. Verses 15 through 18. Just a second ago, she's looking for a corpse and and thinks that the omnipotent God is a gardener. It's amazing what the Lord can accomplish in a moment. They rested according to the commandment for one day from sundown to sundown. And the next day they were going to rest in Christ for eternity. Generally speaking, I think that they probably rested in the commandment longer than most Christians do. Me and Mark were talking this morning. He said, for me, that that rest where I realized that the promise was absolute and that it was coming for me, though that it had not yet arrived, was about four seconds. Right? These guys had a little bit longer run. It was a little better than 24 hours. This is what 
It says a moment before she's looking for a corpse and thinks that a holy God is a gardener. And the next, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Notice that questioning her does nothing to move her from death to life. You know what moves her from death to life? When Christ calls her name. People say, how do you know you're saved? It's not because I wrote down the date I was baptized in the back of my Bible. The way that we know we are saved is because we have heard Christ call our name. And it moves you from the grave to alive. I was seven years old when I was born again. Friends, I will bear personal testimony, and you don't have to take it as the gospel, but people that believe the gospel should bear personal testimony. Let me tell you something. Until the day I was born again, my name was what? If it was Brian, that meant come to supper. If it was Brian Craig, it meant you were getting short. And if it was Brian Craig Williams, it meant punishment was coming. But the day he called my name, I became somebody. Before that, I was dead. He said to her, Mary. And the world changed. And what had been resting in a commandment became resting in the life of Jesus Christ. He said, Mary, and she turned to him and said in Aramaic, because look, you don't ever get Christ speaking effectually without producing the result. People say, well, you have to make a choice. Amen, you got to make a choice. You have to believe. Amen, you got to believe. You have to understand the priority of order and what matters eternally and which one comes first. And what comes first is not the breath of Adam. What comes first is the breath of God. And he says, Mary. And she looks at him and says, Rabbi. It's amazing what a moment will do. So here's the deal. If you are called of God and yet do not at this moment belong to God, but you are hearing my voice and care, then I'm here to tell you, it is you. It is you. Otherwise, you would not care. And if it is you, then friend, you can rest in the commandment. Man, He is faithful. He will do it. He is going to save His people from their sin. But here's the deal. Don't rest long. Don't rest long. Man, knock, seek, and find. Have the door opened. For He promises according to His own eternal character that He will. 
rest. Look, you know, we look at we look at what Christ said. And we think to ourselves, I've never seen a day like that. And I haven't, have you? Never seen a day. Never lived the kind of hardship that would have been witnessing his crucifixion. And yet Christ says, buddy, if this is what they do when the wood's green, what you going to think it looks like when it's dry? In that day, you don't want to be simply resting just in the commandment. In that day, you want to be resting in the commandment realized. In that day, you want to be resting in Christ. And so that day, according to the author of Hebrews, is called today. It's called today. Come to Christ today. We're about to take communion here in just a moment. And the reality is, is if you, if, if you don't have a place at the Lord's table, then you don't have a place at the Lord's table. So if you're not born again, and we'll, we'll look at the scripture why here in just a second, if you're not born again, by all means, don't touch that stuff. It might, he might kill you over it. But the reality is, is if you don't have a place at that table right now, by the time the deacons and the elders get the sheet off of it, you could. You could. There, there, there is, man, there, there are Christians sitting all over this room. I am, man, Mount Zion, I... Bite down, get drug half to death, and die lockjaw, Right? Every single one of these Christians sitting across this room will tell you that while there was a process that brought them to Christ, justification came to them in a moment. And there was a moment when they weren't justified and then there was a moment when they were. So if you're not His, boy, it would be great if this was your first communion. You don't need a preacher. You, you, don't, you, you don't need a set of steps, though you are more than welcome to come. What you need is to hear your name. Scripture says if you call on him, he will by no means turn you away. So today... We celebrate the resurrection that provides for all of this. We celebrate what was finished from before the foundation of the world. That you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins.